0: Welcome back to the Evans-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 100, the impact of treatment with Avacapan on health-related quality of life in inca vasculitis, a post hoc analysis of data from the Advocate trial. Now, I've been all over on Advocate, so let me just give a little, little reminder of what Advocate was and then talk you through my major concerns, and then we'll talk about this paper, which I, which I found somewhat informative. Now, Advocate was a double-blind, randomized, controlled trial of a new C5A inhibitor called Avacapan. Now, patients were randomized to either receive Avacapan, 30 milligrams twice daily, or a prednisone taper. It's worth noting up front that this was this was an audacious thing to do. I mean, no one at the time I mean, I don't, at least I don't think so thought that we could get away with not giving people prednisone um, who were uh, had moderate to severe vasculitis. I mean, it was, it's an audacious thing to do in a disease where you know prednisone has really saved thousands and thousands of lives. But you know, they had some preliminary data and they went for it, and kudos to them for doing it. But there's a couple problems. Now, the first problem, which isn't that bad, but I think everyone needs to be aware of it, is that upfront, patients came into the trial on steroid, right? I mean, no one just saw a patient who had, you know, a diffuse alveolar hemorrhage and said, hey, we got a trial. Why don't you go home and shake it off? When you come back, we'll get you in a couple of weeks from now. That's not what happened. People got steroids, right? And so, you know, this is kind of a trial of a really fast prednisone taper, you know, people getting steroids up front for like two to eight weeks and then coming off, plus a VAC pen, or, you know, a taper that actually looked somewhat like the PEX low steroid taper. Uh, get, I'll get to another caveat there, but you know, so it was kind of PEX low versus a super fast taper. It wasn't steroids versus, or VAC pen versus nothing. So that, that's the first caveat that I think everyone needs to know. And because of that, you know, I, I give everyone steroids up front, even if I'm going to give them a VAC pen. Now, The second caveat is a little more problematic is that at week 20 patients were tapered off of uh, prednisone completely if they're randomized to the prednisone arm. Now, I find that to be problematic because the primary endpoint was assessed at week 26. And man, I just, I really think that last couple milligrams of steroids matters. And I I don't, I I don't know what we would have seen had we kept the steroid people there. Ultimately, the the data at, you know, the, the endpoint at week 26 was non-inferiority and they met that endpoint. looked about the same in both groups. So I don't think that's a big caveat, but I do wish that people in that prednisone group had maybe continued onwards a little longer. And that gets me to the biggest problem with, Avac- with advocate, which is that people were randomized to Avacapan or prednisone, right? But they were also at the discretion of the investigator receiving induction therapy. Now that could be with cyclophosphamide, which was followed by azathioprine, or it could be induction with rituximab. They got the lymphoma protocol dose, you know, 375 milligrams per meter squared over a month weekly, basically. But then they didn't get anything if they're on the rituximab group. And that gave us this very weird thing where people got cyclophosphamide, got maintenance therapy, but if you had a physician who put you into the rituximab group, they did not redose your rituximab at week at month 6, which meant from week 20 in the prednisone group to week 52, patients were completely untreated. So 32 weeks of being completely untreated in moderate severe vasculitis. Just it seems <sighs> seems wrong. (laughs) It just bothers me. I think it bothers anyone who's heard it as well. It's just, you know, the argument is that at the time time that, you know, the standard of care hadn't been established, which I, I find, you know, somewhat unconvincing. But so, so that those are my problems with this trial and what the, the upshot of that is that i don't trust the week 52 data at all if you look at the subgroups and you say hey how what drove the the magnitude of the benefit at week 52 it was completely related to this group of who got rituximab up front and then did not get the standard of care that group of people had a very high flare rate And I think that had they gotten rituximab at week six, month six, as is the standard of care, and that's just what I do every time I see a patient, you know, I don't think that we would have seen the benefit that we saw at week 52. So I mostly disregard the week 52 data. The flip side of that is that at week 26, it did look non-inferior, people did get less steroids. And so for me, it's like, okay, that's helpful. Then the other things, if you look at the EGFR data, this is not, you know, this isn't the primary endpoint of the study, you always gotta be careful with this. But if you are to say, what's the most important secondary endpoint for you. I mean, EGFR is high up there. I'd say health-related quality of life, not going on dialysis, and you know, EGFR is in the top three. The EGFR data looked better among patients who got a VACPAN, even before they went off steroids, even before any of this craziness happened at week, month, at week 52. And so the, I just can't shake the feeling that that EGFR data matters but like i just said the other thing that matters to me is health related quality of life and in the initial publication they did report some of this but you know as per usual they kind of delay it and so now we get to hear about all of the health related quality of life measures and I'm, i'm gonna go through those today so we talked about the, the back or the advocate study already, so I'm gonna skip going through that. But I'll tell you that they had pre-specified secondary outcomes that that assessed health-related quality of life. Those include the SF36, which is kind of the standard one. I think any, any state that's assessing, assessing health-related quality of life does this. EQ5D, 5L, and EQ5D. I, I find these kind of redundant, but fine. Um, and then a couple of other little things that they reported the original manuscript. now Briefly, the statistical approach for this manuscript is not not super exciting because this wasn't the primary outcome measure. Um, they looked at this over the modified intention to treat population. They didn't adjust for multiple comparisons, which I, I don't know why you don't just do that, but I think a lot of the time we don't, and so that's fine. Patients were um, looked at within their strata, which is fine. So, you know, the stats are all okay. So let's just get to the results. So the the main finding is that the 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 SF thirty six data, which I find quite quite interesting. Now, there's two like overarching components to the SF thirty six. It's worth googling SF thirty six if you've never seen it. It's a bunch of things about like, are you able to do things? How's your energy? How do you feel? Etc. Um, there's a physical component summary and a mental component summary that they reported here. The physical component summary score it you know it looked better if you were on the avacapan group um at week 26 your improvement in sf36 from baseline was 4.4 points versus 1.3 points if you were in the prednisone group now, those points don't really intrinsically mean anything to you, right? Which is why we have minimally clinically important differences. So these are validated ways to say, you know, how much of an increase on the SF36 counts? Like, what is that, what's the minimum increase in quality of life that a patient would actually realize and experience and say, hey, I am better off? And the answer is about 2.5 points. So what this tells you actually is that, you know, patients who were in the VACpen group, had an improvement in their quality of life at week 26, such that they would have noticed it. Like they basically said, hey, I do actually feel better. I mean, they did it by filling out enormous surveys repeatedly, but if you look at the the, the magnitude of difference, they did feel better. Now people in the prednisone group also, their SF36 went up, but it didn't go up by more than the MCID. So what that tells you is that, you know, They did feel a little bit better, but not the minimally clinically important difference that we would usually say is, you know, success. And so honestly, that means a lot to me. You know, my goal as a rheumatologist is to make people live longer and live better. And this tells you that getting a vacapan appeared to increase your um, physical wellness um, 26 weeks in. Now at week 52, the prednisone people had caught up a little bit. Uh, but there is still a difference between the groups. It was statistically significant in both groups, for whatever that's worth. SF thirty six is a continuous measure. I think it's relatively easy to demonstrate statistical significance. So I'm I'm, I'm more impressed by it that by the back group meeting the MCID thresholds. Now, interestingly, if you look at the mental component score, you know. People who got Vacapan at week 26 had a improvement in the mental component score from the SF36 that was better than the MCID, so you know they got better. But people in the prednisone group also got better, which I thought was kind of interesting. Both of them kind of went over these MCID thresholds. So we would say that both groups had improvement in their mental component score. And there was no significant difference between the two. I mean, it was 4.8 in the Avacapan group versus 3.3 in the prednisone group looks a little different i imagine if you had a big enough sample size you would see a difference there but it wasn't statistically significantly different at least at p p equals 0.05 where we set this so i don't know i mean i'd say that the vacpan group seemed like they fared a little better on that as well but it was more numerical than than otherwise they, they looked at a bunch of the domain scores as well. And they, they, in the article, they had these little spider grams, which I find kind of opaque and confusing, but the idea is that they kind of make a little spider web and they put the various domains that are part of the SF 36 onto the little spidergram, And, you know, so there's physical functioning, you know, bodily pain, general health, vitality. There's all these domain areas and they graph, you know, where were you at baseline and, and then it gets bigger you know, if you're for the wheat prednisone group, then it gets even bigger at the vac 26. So, and then they show what people who were age and sex matched to us norms, how they did. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, cause I, I wanna know, have we gotten people back to the baseline that you would expect? And the answer is no. So it, across the domains, the people who got a vac pen generally fared better than people who got prednisone. But the people who got a vac pen at week 26 still did not look like they'd caught up to the gen pop. You know, the gen pop people we're still doing better. I mean, and that's particularly true for the general health domain. Look at people in the general population were doing, you know, just just better in their general appraisal of their health, which is not not surprising, right? I mean, if people have anchovasculitis. You wouldn't expect them to say that their general health is, is great. Um, and then their role in the physical domain, they also said that they weren't quite there. Now at week fifty two, you would have expected some of this to catch up, and it kind of didn't. The general health and the role of physical domain still still lagged behind the general population and I don't know if this is related to the accrual of damage um, or to the fact that the person knows that they have this um, very serious disease. I'm I'm not sure what drove that, but it's worth noting that it was um it was still below how people in the general population would have done now we also gave um the, the eq5d ratings you know eq5d has um similar similar um similar kind of like opacity in the numbers you know you go up by a certain number of points and then they calculate the least squares means so it's a bunch of statistical gobbledygook let me just say that on the eq5d people randomized to the prednisone group um, did not appear to um, improve a whole lot. Whereas people who got the evac group, group uh, did at week 26. And then at week 52, the difference was even more stark. People um, on the EQ5D, they improved above the MCID threshold and they were significantly more likely to have improved than people who were randomized to the prednisone group. Now, same thing for the the EQ five D five L VAS score, which is, I guess, a little more specific to these these do, the specific disease. Uh, they they similar findings, you know, statistically significantly different in the Avacopan group as compared to the Prednisone group. So, I, I I'm gonna put this up there along with the eGFR data where. You know, at week 26, it looked like this was helpful and it looked like this was helpful in a way that mattered. A weird kind of caveat to this is that, you know, maybe it's just that prednisone makes people miserable. You know, we all know when you put people on prednisone, some people love it and say like, my life is better, I'm so happy, but man, a lot of people say, I feel terrible. I can't sleep, I'm anxious, I don't feel like myself. Um, You know, my blood sugars are up, I'm carrying extra weight, I'm bloated. People just really hate being on prednisone. And so it seems plausible to me that the benefit here isn't so much from Avacopan, but that the benefit is actually from prednis- not being on prednisone. Now, I mean, that's kind of a win for Avacopan, I'd say, right? Because like, if you weren't going to give Avacopan, you would give the prednisone. But just remember, every time I think about this, I think about the LOVAS study. The LOVAS study was published in JAMA about five months, six months after um, the Advocate study. And in the LOVAS study... They just gave people a very short prednisone taper, even shorter than the Pexivast low. And in low vast, they got away with it. It, I, I just always wonder how much prednisone people actually need. And I'm a big fan of comparative effectiveness trials. I'm a big fan of them trying to put uh, a vacpan against prednisone. I mean, that was cool. But man, I really wish there was a placebo group that just got nothing. You know, <laughs> I want to know what it looks like to get nothing. And... In a way, we kind of did get that because the people who were randomized to prednisone and got rituximab for induction therapy, they got nothing and they, they did poorly. So I guess it's probably not a good idea. But I, I do wonder if maybe it's just the absence of prednisone that drove this purported benefit. You still get credit for that. And the authors actually, you know, in their discussion, they have a, a re- relatively interesting sort of discussion where they, they talk about other studies. And they said, you know, in Advocate, we reduced the amount of prednisone you know quite a bit. But this isn't the first time we've reduced the amount of prednisone quite a bit. In the PeXaVaS study and the Lovas study, you know, we gave people either a standard dose taper, which was a lot of steroids, or we gave them less steroids. And what do we see in that study? Well, in that study what we saw was no difference in the groups with respect to these quality of life measures. So, I I don't know if I totally buy that because I think there's a big difference between getting a ton of steroids or half of a ton of steroids and getting half a ton of steroids or no steroids, right? So I think those things are qualitatively different. I think the people in the advocate group that really got a very small amount of steroids, it still, it still might be just the flat absence of steroids that drove this effect. But I, I did find their argument there somewhat persuasive. What they're saying is that, you know, decreasing your steroids by a couple grams over 26 weeks in Pexavas and lowvas I mean, that didn't change your quality of life. So in advocate, we decreased by about a gram and a half over 26 weeks, and their quality of life did improve. So we're gonna ascribe that to the Avacapan. Uh, I, mean, I, I find that somewhat convincing. And so, you know, I mean, this is another reason why I feel reasonably compelled to offer this therapy to people. I do tell patients the caveats. <laughs> I never give people rituximab with no maintenance rituximab. I, I absolutely give people maintenance therapy, as is the standard of care. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I care about quality of life. I want my patients to have a better quality of life. Um, it's a very important outcome measure to me. And it does look like people in the advocate study who got a vac had a higher health related quality of life at week 26. Don't trust the week 52 data. Uh, it did look better at week 52, but I don't trust it. <laughs> but I would imagine that that would be persistent. So um, hope that was interesting. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, looking forward to seeing y'all at ACR in about a month. And uh, yeah, have a great week.